get into a room with Junior Kimbrough at a bar in Oxford, maybe Ireland's or City Grocery or Proud Larry's, a place that's halfway dark where the floor is covered with scuffed wood and old cigarette burns. It's a comfortable half-gloom you like because you wouldn't want to be listening to this out in the sunshine. You know he's going to start singing about hurting and a woman gone wrong and trouble and hard times and the dark wears all that like a glove. You want to feel all that pain and roll in the music. He pulls it up out of the body of the guitar, fingers and hands and voice and mind all working together with his soul as it floats from the strings into the smoky air where people have tables pushed together and barmaids are hurrying with drinks and more and more people are trying to get into the door, lining up out on the sidewalk, all of us here for that magic in the dark. The music drifts out over the room and mingles with the talk and laughter and rises up into the ceiling and hangs there in a cloud, like a force you can feel in the atmosphere, like something with a light of its own pushing outward against the walls. You start to move because you can't help it. There's no fighting it, and who wants to anyway? where it comes from, this power, and you figure North Mississippi and rivers full of catfish, a hoe in your hand all day in some cotton patch for $4, dead dogs in the road, and summertime roasting the land, pictures of it by Eggleston, words of it by Faulkner, the hard mornings of frost when hogs are butchered, and children scream with laughter, little enclaves of music and dim lights and cold bottles of beer, and electric strokes of guitarists choking down the necks with fingers greased by skill. The rolling miles of highway ribboned with tar, the little pins of wood beside the fields, the beer joints and bent or shotgun road signs and buzzards sailing languidly over the land. Smashed possums and petrified rabbits and crushed snakes and alligator snapper walking across the road seeking water, hard work and the taste of a drink whiskey in the evening. A small plot of tomatoes and okra and beans and peas, the warm flat back of your woman pressed against you in your sleep. Junior's place in Marshall County sits about 20 feet off Highway 4, a little patch of gravel running a long old building dark porch, wooden walls, two swinging doors that block away the world when they drop a two by four in the notches inside. There's a concrete floor and a single pool table and some things like wooden caves lining the walls where some abstractionist carpenter has been hard at work with his frenzied hammer. Couches sit inside the little caves and there are a couple of tables and some chairs. They flung glitter all over the walls while the paint was still wet. It looks more like a shrine than anything else, and for the people that go there all the time, that's probably what it is, a shrine to Junior's music. Those old walls rock with sound to diminish the semis grinding past and flattening the roadside grasses and floating papers and trash with their passing. This place vibrates with guitars while the rest of the world rolls by probably wouldn't pay any attention to it driving by, looking at it from the outside. But this is the home of music. This is where it's born. Cause I love you. The people are all moving together on the floor now, legs and hips and feet hands moving and no two of them alike. Everybody doing what the music makes them feel. A big packed herd. The music grows and grows and becomes more intricate and gains power and weight until it's screaming to be let out of the room and onto the sidewalk and up the street. It's gathering centrifugal force. In the dark, any trouble you have can fade while you just listen to the music and move your feet, knowing it'll take the herd away, cure whatever ails you. Tomorrow ain't come yet.
Welcome, everyone, to the Killing Floor Music Podcast. I'm Adam Smith, and I've been documenting the music and landscape of the Deep South for over 20 years now. Each show, I plan to take you on a journey and share the experiences that I experienced while photographing blues legends such as R.L. Burnside and Junior Kimbrough to rock and roll legends and maybe a little country sprinkled in as well. Whether it be through my personal accounts or through the in-depth interviews with the musicians and artists themselves. So sit back, grab a drink, and let's take a trip down south. I'm glad you're here. This old heart killing flow. Lord, I'll never get out this low no more. And we are back, folks. Can you believe it? A long sabbatical for the Killing Floor music podcast. Uh, we are glad that you are back and we appreciate your patience. We are rather a small team here, and uh, we enjoy what you're doing because we have heard um, great things and people asking us when the next podcast is coming out, and uh, well, here you go. So we are glad you're here. I wanted to start out the podcast about Junior Kimbrough with a special reading that I usually do, and, it, and it, if you've ever seen one of my shows um, you know, at a gallery showing or at a bar or a restaurant that I have transformed into a night of Mississippi blues, then you have heard me read this when I speak before um, everybody gets down to looking at the artwork. Um, It's a piece that uh, is very near and dear to me. It is some liner notes that were written for Junior Kimbrough on the Sad Days and Lonely Nights album that Fat Possum put out, and it was written by an amazing Southern author, Larry Brown, who passed away years back. Um, I was honored to call him my friend and uh, an amazing, amazing man who died before his time. If you've never heard of Larry Brown or you never read any of his work, please do yourself a favor. Uh, Larry Brown is the author of Dirty Work. Joe, Big Bad Love, Facing the Music, and On Fire, just to name a few. Um, I'm serious, folks. Do yourself a favor. If you liked that uh, piece that I read from the liner notes, go read some of his uh, work. It it will floor you. Okay, folks. We um, here at The Killing Floor need you to go to the Apple platform and uh, give us five stars. And if you got a friend who you think that uh, would enjoy or benefit from listening to these podcasts, please give them a shout and give them the info to look us up. You should be able to find this podcast on all the major platforms. And also, if you would like to get a inside look of the things that we're talking about today, an inside look at Junior's please do, you can always go to my website, which is adamsmithphotography.com, and you can see junior images, RL images, uh, images from all the work I've done in the Mississippi Delta and Hill Country documenting these amazing and legendary uh, blues musicians. So with this podcast, I never wanted it to really be like a history lesson. Um, that's not really my thought process for this podcast. So if you do want to learn some more about Junior, go to fatpossum.com and uh, probably got a bio there, probably got a story. Wikipedia can tell you some stuff about Junior. What I wanted to do is concentrate on my experiences out there, what Junior meant to me, what his music meant to me, what his juke joint meant to me because that was really where I cut my teeth as a documentary photographer, so to speak, back in the early days, and it taught me a lot. We learned a lot from juniors. Um, Everybody did. There was no white or black on a Sunday night out there. You were there for the music, 
everybody knew that's what you were there for. You were there to drink some cold beer, some corn, and celebrate life and uh, forget about what was going on outside world. Uh, usually about 90, 95 degrees in that place on a Sunday summer night and sweat dripping and bodies moving and laughter and some crying because honestly, I'm not ashamed of it. And the pit of juniors is where I came to my calling, as they say, or you could say I fell down on my knees and came to tears because I knew that if I was able ever to capture that feeling, that music, that energy in a room, and I could put that on film, I knew right then and there that is what I wanted to do with my life. So I thought today with the podcast being about Junior Kimbrough, I thought uh, there would be nothing better than to interview Eric Deaton. Eric has been a friend of mine. We've known each other for probably upwards of 20 years. I don't even remember where we met. I know we probably met out at Junior's. Eric moved, as you'll hear, from North Carolina over to Mississippi to study under Junior and RL and to understand their music and to play their music and there's nobody else better that understands and plays their music like that eric's got his own band it's called the eric deaton trio and they play in and around oxford and eric has recently teamed up with north mississippi hill country blues legend kenny brown and they lended a hand with dan arbach and patrick carney of the black keys on the recent album Delta Cream that was nominated for a Grammy. So Eric is cut his teeth in the right places, has played with the right people. And so I thought it could not be more important to talk to someone like Eric. So let's just jump into this. Here we go, folks. Eric, so you and I, have we've known each other to be in full disclosure. Tell us a little bit about of your background, like where you're from, how long you've been playing, your early influences and stuff like that. Well, I grew up in the Raleigh, North Carolina area, a little town called Garner, just south of Raleigh. And uh, I got my first guitar when I was 13. And... Um, very early on was into, you know, what's typically called classic rock now. Uh-huh. Um, Stones and Led Zeppelin and yep. Southern rock like Leonard Skinner and Almond Brothers. And uh, that's the stuff that led me to the blues. Um, you know, okay. cause I was a avid liner note reader and, you know, I'd read interviews with people like Jimmy Page and whatnot. Uh-huh. Beck and see who their, their heroes were, you know, and they were talking about people like Howard Wolf and and, yep. and Buddy Waters and, you know, stuff like that. So I started and started noticing some of my favorite songs, you know, written by some people that weren't in the band, you know. So I started wondering, like, who, who was Willie Dixon? Who was Fred McDowell? Yeah. You know, and um, so I started buying blues records after I'd been, you know, playing guitar for maybe about a year. Mm-hmm. And, um, and pretty soon that was all I was buying was yep. blues records. Yeah, and um, uh, so well, and, and then my early blues influences were those guys I just named, like Howard Wolf, Robert Johnson, Skip James, Muddy Waters, people like that. Yeah, and um, and after about a year of being like hardcore into blues, and everybody I was listening to, they, they were all dead. You know, they all all my favorite guys were dead musicians. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and then um. I discovered that that there was actually still a happening scene in Mississippi, and this was like nice. in the early '90s when I was in high school. And um, you know, there was that there was still like a lot of great blues musicians alive and active here, and that just floored me. And yeah. um, and and so I just I set my sights on moving here. After once I graduated high school, uh, I just wanted to come to Mississippi. When did what what, what year and, did you move to uh, Mississippi? And was that straight kind of where you're living now in Oxford, or did you move first somewhere? Yeah. So uh, uh, what the really like pivotal moment for me was uh, I saw a documentary came on PBS when I was 15. It was called "The Land Where the Blues Began." It was an Alan Lomax documentary. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, it's such a great, great film. And and, yeah. and for the first time, I saw and heard R.L. Burnside. <laughs> um, I, I saw, yeah, he's he's on it. I, I saw the Fife and Drum Bands for the first time. Yep. Uh, Otha Turner and Napoleon Strickland. Yep. Um, I saw Jack Owens and Bud Spires. And now, Napoleon, and, no, and Napoleon just, was kind of before Other, right? He was. Well, you know what? Other was actually older, and okay. um, but uh, but Napoleon, I think, kind of was kind of a star fife guy until he had a stroke and couldn't do it anymore. Okay. And um, and 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 Other kind of became the the main fellow after Napoleon had a stroke. By the time I moved here, Napoleon was in a nursing home and was no longer. Um, play, able to play, unfortunately. I understand. So I, I missed, yeah, I missed him entirely. Um, but uh, all those guys were still like living and playing in Mississippi, you know. Yeah. And um, and, and so you know, it just really um, lit a fire for me that that was where I, I needed to be and needed to go as soon as I could. So. So after a couple more years of high school, <laughs> I, I graduated. I graduated and moved here. And, um, yeah, when I first moved to Mississippi, I moved to Senatobia. I went okay. to, uh, um, you know, I told my parents, I was like, you know, you know, I graduate high school. I'm going to move to Mississippi and go play blues in the juke joints. And they're like, that's insane. You can't do that. <laughs> and um, so so we kind of, like, struck a, struck a bargain. They were like, well, why don't you go to school, you know, in Mississippi? Uh-huh. And and then you can go, you know, entertain your your crazy notions on the weekends. <laughs> yeah, know? I didn't know that this was what I was going to dive into when I got to Ole Miss. I was like, I don't want to do this. Guy, I'm majoring in management. They don't have a photography major here. I, I don't need this anymore. My mom was like, please, please, just graduate. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. And when, when so I made a couple of trips here with my dad when I was in high school. We came down. They were combination juke joint and blues festival trips with looking at schools in Mississippi. And okay. uh, so I looked at, at a number of schools, including Ole Miss. But uh, ultimately, by the time we were making trips down here, I had zeroed in on the hill country. And uh, yeah. you know, Junior Junior Kimbrough and Ariel Burnside were mm-hmm. just my absolute. You know, mm-hmm. I thought. They were the best. I still do, and uh, and and so for me, it, it all just boiled down to okay, which school is the closest to Junior Juke Joint? Yeah. Well, that was Northwest. <laughs> that was Northwest Community College in Senatobia. Nice. And so, so, so when I moved here, I, I, the first two years I lived in Mississippi, better part of two years, I was in uh, Senatobia, going to Northwest and going to Juniors every Sunday night. Nice. And. <laughs> After Northwest, I, I, I didn't I didn't finish school, but uh, I gravitated towards Oxford just because it was a happening town yeah. and had a great music scene, uh-huh. and uh, you know, so that was this was where once once I got done with Northwest, I, I moved to Oxford and and uh, have lived here most of the and years. So that was then. probably I, about the time I I came through there. So I I came through there. Uh, I think I was there in '93. That's about where when you came, right? Ninety four was okay. when I moved here. Cool. Yep. So when you moved here, you knew who you wanted to play with. You didn't know any of these people, like I didn't know them when I when I moved here. Um, but you yeah. you revered it. You loved it. You knew. I mean, it 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 moved you when you heard their music. How did you go about kind of uh, moving in? And and when I say that. The reason what I I think you and I share and a lot of those people share is once we did, you know, kind of get in that group, it's almost like a fucking family, dude. I feel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, they know you, you you know them. We both have uh, mutual respect for each other. It is a special group to where it's almost like a little uh, family and you and you kind of know who's in that family. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, because we've all been around each other. Yeah, you know, we've all we we all bumped into each other and rubbed shoulders and hung out and drank moonshine together. And exactly. Whatnot. So yeah, I mean, because I know I've known you since I'd say at least ninety, probably six or so. Okay. And um, I feel like some somewhere in there, I, I can't remember exactly where we first met. Yeah, and, I can't um, either. 
Yeah, but I just know it was somewhere in 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 those those mid nineties years. Yeah, when yep. when juniors was still was still jumping, and you were out there taking pictures. So how did you uh, going back to my original question? How did you kind of get into that scene where they were like, "All right, this motherfucker can play, and 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 he loves our music." And because I mean, yeah. you know, it's not like everybody can just walk in off the street and start playing with these guys. That's right. That's right. So, so I'll, I'll tell you how, how it happened. Basically, uh, so me and my dad, uh, we made our first trip down here when I was 16. It was in that summer, like after my 10th grade year. And, um, and we tried to go to, we went to several, we went to Clarksdale, went to a juke joint down there that was called Margaret's Blue Diamond Lounge and saw the Wesley Jefferson band. Um, saw Arthur East Jones play on Beale Street at a at a at a club up there. Uh-huh. And um and we tried to go to Juniors, but it was not ha- it was not open when we went there. Okay. And this was back when uh, you probably remember this, back when the that house was right next to Juniors. I do. And that was where the Burnsides were. Exactly. Lived, right? Exactly. Yep. Well but we had no idea. We didn't know that. No, I and, didn't uh, need, I didn't either and, actually. And, and the funny thing was, we went up. Me and my dad went up, knocked on the door, and nobody answered. And um, <laughs> and so we just left. And so the very first trip I made to Mississippi, I did not get to go to juniors. Yeah. Um. And uh. And and uh. And we knew actually. We found out after we got here that RL was not even here. He was on tour okay. in uh, Australia when when we when we were <laughs> here. So so we wouldn't have have caught up with him anyway. Uh-huh. So, so, uh, so then the next thing that happened a couple months later, um, I'm back in North Carolina. Well, the Deep Blues movie came out, uh-huh. and um, and there was a Deep Blues tour that happened, and uh-huh. uh, and the the I don't know if it was the same musicians all over the country, but when it came to Carolina, the Deep Blues tour was RL playing solo, opening up for Roosevelt Booba Barnes. Wow. And, um, yeah, it was, oh, dude, it's, it was so amazing. It was like, and for me, that was the first time I'd ever seen either one of them in person. And so that was just like, the, still for, still to this day, the, the greatest show of yeah. my life was, was that. Yeah. And, hair, um, sta- hair standing and, and up so, on the back uh, of your neck. Man, absolutely. It, <laughs> it, it really did. Really did. And, um, so, and, and me and my dad, we, uh, interviewed R.L. and Booba for the local Blues Society newsletter thing there in nice. the triangle. So so I got to meet him, got to talk to him, and uh, and we were talking to R.L. and talking about trying to go to Junior's and how we knocked on the door of the house, and he goes, that's my house. And we're like, what? <laughs> oh, man. We were like, holy shit, we knocked on R.L.'s door, and we had no idea that was his house. Oh, yeah, and, that's hilarious. Uh, so, so, and then so R.L. goes, well, you know, and I'm talking, he finds out that I play guitar, you know, and everything. And, and, um, and so, so he says, well, next time you come to Mississippi, come visit me in my house. You know where I live now. Come visit me. And, and he said, you know, and we'll, we'll jam. The thing about it is like a lot of people can say that, but like RL fucking minute. He was like, yeah, I don't care. Come on over. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he meant it, man. And, and, uh, and so that's exactly what we did. Uh, Next, uh, I had like on spring break of that year. As now we're talking my junior year of high school. Spring break, uh, me and my dad came down to Mississippi again, looking at schools. We're going to juke joints. Well, we went to juniors first juke we went to, uh-huh. and uh, and 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 then we went and knocked on the door at our. It was just like he told us to, and there he was at home. And he goes, he goes, all right. Well, he said uh, we're gonna go over there and jam tonight, right? And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> How nervous! So, uh, oh yeah, man, <laughs> nervous, but 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 excited. I mean, yeah. just everything, and and uh, so he got me up, and I sat in with him for two songs that playing night, bass you know? or guitar. And I think, and and they were they were both uh, they were both RLs. You know, I've been kind of like doing my best to pick his stuff out on you know at, at home. Yeah, and, um, and so I kind of have asked new couple of his tunes. You know, and and so we sat on, and and I played, and and uh, I actually he didn't even play. It was like I played the guitar, he sang, and Calvin Jackson was doing the drums. Oh wow! And, and that, um, Calvin was so that was my very pop, first right? very first time at juniors. I was up there 
jamming with RL. And, uh, and of course, I got to meet Junior, and I met, uh, you know, all of the younger Kimbros and Burnsides uh-huh. that were there. I met Calvin Jackson, Kent Kimbro, uh, Dwayne Burnside, Gary Burnside. Yeah. All of them were there, you know. And uh, and then I made, you know, we made our next trip down, uh, like, that following summer. And I uh, went out to Junior's again, and that time I sat in with Junior. And, um, you know, in both cases, I had, I had – you know, been picking out their stuff for us that they could tell, even though I wasn't doing it real great, they could tell what it was, you know, it was like, yeah. Oh, he's playing, he's playing, uh, nobody but you by junior. Yeah. <laughs> like, and were you and, playing? And so point, when you were playing with them out there, were you playing bass with them? Or? No, I was playing guitar okay. then, uh, okay. at first because, because I was actually just a guitar player at that point. Okay. So I was sitting in, I was sitting in on like second guitar. All right. And when I moved when I moved here, uh, that was what I did for about the first six months. I was playing like second guitar behind whoever, uh, David Kimbrough Jr., R. Uh, L. and Dwayne when they were in town, you know, not on yeah. tour and stuff. And uh and what happened the way I ended up playing bass was after I'd been going out there every Sunday for about six months, Gary Burnside, who was basically the house bass player at the time, he just up and, and vanished. Uh, he went up to Davenport, where there's like a you know enclave of Burnsides, Davenport, yeah. Iowa. Those Burnsides and, and Kimbros uh, will do that to you, man. They'll 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 uh, they'll, they'll disappear on you. <laughs> right, right, and that's what Gary did, and it, and it left the youth with no like house bass player. Yeah. And 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 it, and it was like it was such a surprise that we were all there. We, we found out when we got there on Sunday night, and like everybody's like, "Where's Gary?" And then the word comes in, "Oh, he's gone. He's gone to Davenport." <laughs> you know? oh, wow. And um, and so every so there's a crowd there, and everybody's standing around going, "What do we do?" Uh-huh. And I just said to Junior, "I was like, Junior, I'll, I'll play bass." I mean, Junior had all the gear, you know, uh-huh. there the bass and the drums. And I was like, Junior, I'll play bass. I was like, you know, I. I said, and I named like you know about five songs that I knew I could do the bass lines on because uh-huh. they're so similar to the guitar lines anyway. Yeah. And uh, and so we came out and so Junior played exactly those five songs and he made each one last about thirty minutes. So nice. It took the whole night. Yeah. And um, but Gary didn't come back. He didn't come back for months. And uh-huh. so I ended up being the house bass player at the Juke Joint for the next several months until Gary came back. And then after he came back, I think he was actually kind of happy to have somebody else there who he could trade out with. But yeah. He wasn't expected to be playing the whole night, you know. Yeah. So, so me and him would trade out on bass a lot after that, uh, which was that was in about '95. So about for the next two years. Um, you know, me and Gary were like the main bass players out there. Of course, also David. David played bass sometimes yep. when yep. when he was around and not doing guitar. And yeah, sometimes be Wayne would. You know, you know, some. you know how it was out there. Yeah. Did you ever get? Because I'll tell you a, a story of kind of like I was kind of the same way, man. I mean, I watched those guys. You know, I came in one night, and I think I, I, it's almost the exact same story, dude. I, I, I. One of my friends told me about it. I tried to drive out there on a Sunday night. Could not find the damn place. It's pitch black dark. (laughs) You know how it is on four. I was like, that fucking place cannot be right there. Blah, blah, blah. You know, long story short, I would go in there and I would photograph. And I don't know if they kind of saw something in me of like how much my face lit up or how much I cared about it. Because they never fucked Mm -hmm. with me about photographing or anything but i also would see people where that would come in and, and they'd be like hey it's 7500 bucks to pho- photograph in here right you know right and so um i would be up in that pit man and i mean i'm not embarrassed to say it how i kind of figured out what i was going to do with my life i had a come to jesus moment mm-hmm. out there at juniors man and i came to Jesus, yeah. dude and i was just like oh my god if i could ever capture this kind of power and and energy in a room on 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 film that's what i want to do with my right. and i'm sure that right. was like with you but i guess what my question is coming oh, back man, around absolutely. i never you know junior would always recognize me obviously when i would come in there i would i would shoot the shit with him you know just a little bit or whatever 
But um, and then right. I ended up, you know, Amos and I ended up doing some stuff for him after he had passed away. But I, I, I never felt like I, you know, I wasn't on a no, uh, you know, one on one basis with him, you know, first name basis. I don't think. But I mean, did you ever feel like you got pretty close to him by playing or? I mean, you know, we were definitely on a first name basis and all, but uh, uh, you know, man, the thing I was so much, I was so young when mm-hmm. I was doing all that. I was like, I was too. I was like between the ages of eighteen and 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 twenty one yep. when I was yep. playing uh, out there with Junior and RL and them. And well, I knew RL longer, obviously, because he lived a lot longer, uh, lived a fair amount longer. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, I mean, and and but I kind of more than anything, I I wanted to not be obtrusive. I wanted to not yeah, be a nuisance. Exactly. And you know, now if I had been older uh, when I was doing that, I think I probably would have tried to get a lot more stories out of Junior and pick yeah. his brain about a lot more stuff. I, I'm the same way. I wanted to obviously show the respect, but I wanted to be a fly on the wall when I was out there, you know? Right. And my main thing was just to play with him. Exactly. And uh, so, so, I mean, the, the effect that I got to know Junior musically extremely well. I mean, I could, you know, I, I learned all the little hooks and weird Mm. things that he would do in his different songs, you know, and it took a while to, to to get all that stuff down because his music is very unusual, as you know. And, um, you know, so for me, more than anything, it was about learning the music and being able to play it. And yeah. so, you know, uh, I didn't spend, like, much time hanging with Junior away from the juke joint. It was mostly at the juke joint, you yeah. know. So, but I did sometimes. I mean, I went to his apartment sometimes and, yeah. you know, would meet him there, to, mostly just to talk about if we had some, some gig coming up or uh-huh. something to do, you know. Well, and uh but but that was that was mostly it and uh uh and it's kind of the same with RL I think the difference in in age more than anything kind of and I just I just like I said didn't want to be a nuisance to to exactly. those guys I just just if they would have me around to play with them that was the best thing in the world Exactly to me. and that's, that's kind of how I felt most... like if they would have me around documenting that kind of stuff I I you know I just wanted to blend in and 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 you know you probably were closer to them than I was, but they did know my my face. And when I would call and explain yeah. who I was, they knew who I was. So that always right. that kind of comes back around to the family aspect of it that they knew we were good people. It, it does, and and um, and you know I I really got a lot closer to the younger guys because it was just it was kind of easier to hang hang out with them in a way mm-hmm. to me, you know so. So me and Gary and David and Kent, I mean, you know, those, those guys I've been close with for decades now, ever since way back yeah. then, you know, me and Gary used to hang out and ride around and, you know, do do all sorts of stuff. You know, so. <laughs> I bet. So give me one story, dude, and it doesn't matter, man. Uh, give me your best story of Junior Kimbrough's. Oh, best story. Wow. <laughs> Man, wow! I put you on the spot right there. I mean, it could be funny. It could be a great experience. What the single best story would be, but uh, there's so many. Um, yeah, yeah, so many. Man, (laughs) you know the one I already gave you is a pretty good one. Yeah, that night where 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 I first played bass with him, because that was a very pivotal. That's thing. pretty good. Um, because after that, I became musically more more important to the whole scene exactly. as a bass player, actually. Because, you know, there were so many guitar players already, yeah. but there weren't that many guys that were just, just playing bass, you know, like, yeah. like Gary uh, was about the only one. And so once I, you know, that, that night was pretty important where, you know, like Gary went there and I told Junior, I was like, man, I'll play bass, you know. And what he did, uh, Kent didn't show up that night because he had already gotten wind that Gary was gone. And so he was like, well, if Gary ain't there, there ain't no show. Yeah. So Kent didn't even come out that night either. Yeah. And so who it was was me and Robert Kimbra. Oh, and uh, Robert. at that time, Robert, Robert was only, he wasn't playing guitar or bass at all then. He was playing some drums a little bit. Okay. 
So, so what Junior ended up doing, <laughs> Junior, he took me and Robert back in the bathroom of the juke joint, closed the door. <laughs> he was like, because, you know, the place is already packed full of people yeah. waiting for music, you know. It was like a little bit of a tense situation. Uh-huh. You know, like, what and do you, we, and do we all know what that bathroom and, uh, looked like. <laughs> yeah, he took me and Robert back in the bathroom back there and shut the door. And he goes, all right, guys. He's like, if we go out there, you going to be able to stay with me? You know? <laughs> and, uh, and, and me and Robert were just like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll be able to stay with you. And that was when I told him, the, you know, I named off about five of his tunes that I knew I, I could hang with on bass. Uh-huh. So I was like, you know, all night long, nobody but you, I'm in love with you. You know, I named, yep. named a little handful of them. And like I say, he came back out and he did those exact five songs and made each one last about thirty minutes. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and that was that was how we pulled off yeah. the show. And I, but that that was like passing the test, though. You know, it yeah, was like uh, after that, he trusted me Hell yeah, with him did. on bass, and and from that point on, I was his like second call guy for Gary in yeah. those those uh, those last two years that he was active. Yeah, you know, would Gary would take all the good gigs that that paid good, and he let me play the ones that didn't, you know, that would, weren't paying much, <laughs> but like just like house, just just like house party and juke joint gigs. Yeah. Shit. But I was happy as a clam. I mean, I it was for me, it was for the experience, not not what I was getting paid at that point exactly. in my life. You know? exactly. It was all about the experience and the apprenticeship I was getting. So no it was, you know, it was incredible and. You know, most honestly, for me, most of the nights at juniors all kind of blend together. Yeah, <laughs> they like, do, man. But man, I'll tell you, just sitting in there in that that pit where we all play the juniors, just sitting there and holding that junior groove, man, oh, for like God, dude. you know twenty, that's thirty, I, that's exactly twenty, thirty minutes at a time. You remember he do those songs really long out of the juke joint. Yeah, that was just the most incredible thing. I mean, it's it's still to this day the musical highlight of my life. Yeah, is playing. Playing with Junior at Juniors, like it it's it, that's that's the peak for me. Exactly. Well, uh, a story that I could share uh, for a second. I've got a couple stories. There's two two that I really love that I'm going to share this one, and it kind of comes back around to, to being part of the family thing. But uh, yeah. I was out there, me and a friend of mine were out there uh, one night, and uh, we were. Fucking having a ball, dude. Drinking, you know, ass pocket <laughs> full of whiskey, some moonshine, some corn. Oh and, yeah, um, you know, some Budweisers, and uh, it got to be pretty late, you know. And and uh, all of a sudden, there there was all this commotion about you know running through the club that there was a damn roadblock down on four trying to get back to Oxford. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. I've been fucking partaking for a while and uh i remember cedric came up to me and he goes uh and then, you know cedric was young as shit these times i mean i i don't even know oh, yeah. how much older i am with cedric but i knew him from going out there we we knew each other i don't think i had even photographed him one-on-one by any means but he just mm-hmm. knew me and that's the way cedric is and cedric's like hey man adam follow me out of the juke joint and i'm going to take you the back way where you will not go around that that thing and it was like so if you're looking out of the door of juniors you know you would go left to go back out back down to oxford right well he wanted me to go right right. and so i was waiting for him in the car and i thought he came running out i thought it was him but i wasn't sure and he was hauling ass down that road going the opposite direction And, and about 30 minutes into the trip i go man i don't fucking think this is cedric I do not think this is Cedric. I think I'm following the wrong person. So I turned around and went back to the juke joint, and there were still some people in there. And about 10, 15 minutes later, Cedric comes walking in, and he goes, Adam, that was me you were following, son. Come I was trying to get you back to Oxford. And I was like, oh, my God, Cedric. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry, dude. So we had to do the whole trip again. But that's just the way Cedric is. You know, it's like when you, you know, yeah. it kind of goes back to that family. I mean, I was I was blown away that he had, you know, he was like, fuck, dude. He I got to turn around. That white-ass motherfucker ain't following me right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. That's. That is funny, but yeah, exactly, man. Uh, you know that man. There were several times where uh, 
I my car well, crazy crazy story, but car broke got broke down in Holly Springs, uh-huh. and uh, and there was a couple times where RL took me back and forth from Senatobia where I was at school at Northwest and back to Holly Springs so I could check on my car. Wow. You know, and the mechanic place was, I mean, they were, they were shady as hell, but, <laughs> but finally, you know, but, but finally the car got done. So, but like, so it took forever. But yeah, man, RL, you know, I would call him and, uh, and not, and I wouldn't have thought to do that on my own. Really. I would, again, I would have been like, Oh, I want to, yeah, exactly. but Gary was Gary was like, call dad. He said, call dad. He'll give you he'll give you a ride. He said, just give him some gas money. He'll give you a ride. And so, so a couple times, RL drove me back and forth oh, to the W Holly Springs and in in his van, you know, and and uh, just so I could tend to my broke down car. Exactly. <laughs> and, good uh, lord. So there's another yeah another good example, man, being treated. Being taken in just like family. Yeah, it and, is, um, man. And we were we were lucky to, uh, to 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 get in and, and to experience stuff like this. So so you and Kenny came about and started recording with the Black Keys later on, like recently. So how did that come about? So that came about. Um, I, I guess I'll, I'll try to try to uh, streamline the story a little bit. Okay. Um, I, I, my path crossed with Dan Auerbach's multiple times. From about 2000 up until uh, up until about three years ago, okay. and uh, you know we we crossed paths. He, he had uh, come to shows that I was playing on actually, and okay. this was like you know like before the Black Keys even existed, and yeah. then and then also uh, in their earlier years, you know when they were on Fat Possum Records and stuff. Yeah, I met him the first time uh, with Amos uh, at Kenny Brown's festival years ago. Yeah, he came to the picnic, one of yeah. the earliest uh, yeah. picnics. He was there and sat in with somebody. Yeah, and um, and and I'd already run across. We'd already crossed paths probably at least three times before that. Because uh, also when I was on tour with Jimbo Mathis, knocked down south. Yep. Dan came out and sat in. He came out to a couple of those shows and sat in with us. So we knew each other, and, and I knew he was a fan of Juniors because they had done Do the Raw on their first record. Yeah. And I told him about, you know, my experience of playing with Junior back in the day. And so we just had a connection because of that, you know, yeah. uh, from the very beginning. And in 2019, um, he started calling me for session work at his studio nice. and uh, to play bass. Uh, he's always known me as a, as a bass player uh-huh. from, uh, you know, whoever I was playing with, Jimbo, I was playing bass, playing with uh, the Fat Possum Caravan. Yeah. I was, playing bass playing with junior i was playing bass so uh so he started calling me i did uh played bass on that jimmy duck holmes record that we did that okay, year yeah so then december of 2019 dan called me and uh, wanted me to come play on a robert finley session that he had coming up okay and he asked me he said uh he said what do you think about getting kenny brown to play some slide on this i said i think that's a great idea <laughs> so i called up kenny and uh and told him that Dan was interested in having both of us on this Robert Finley session, and so Kenny was in. So Dan hired us for three days and uh, for the studio, and we went up there and we did everything in one day on in, the Robert in Finley Na- in Nashville. In Nashville at Easy Eye Sound, okay. yeah, Easy Eye Sound. So he's studio. got his own. They got, they got their own studio up there. Yeah, uh, Dan has his own studio. Yeah, and and Pat does too, but okay. I think Pat's is, is is in his house, whereas Dan's is. I've never been to Pat's studio, but uh, Easy Eye Sound is Dan's studio, and it's it's its own, you know, in a uh, building. Yeah. yeah, actually, it's a couple of buildings. So yeah, we we went up there, we cut everything for the Robert Finley record in one day, but Dan had hired us for three days. Uh-huh. So me and Kenny were kind of <laughs> looking at each other, you know, going, "Shit, you know, is he going to send us home?" We were expecting to get three days' work out yeah. of this. And at the end of that day, Dan says, "He says, man, um." You know, I've hired you guys for two more days. He said, well, y'all want to come back tomorrow? And he said, maybe I'll call Pat up and we could play some Junior Kimber stuff. <laughs> so me and Kenny were like, so me, yeah, me and Kenny were like, sure. <laughs> you know, it sounded good to us. Yeah. So we went back in the next day, and that was the first time I ever met Patrick Carney was that was in the studio that day. Okay. 
so he came in, and uh, the four of us, actually five of us, Sam Baca uh, was there on percussion. The five of us played, two, you know, like six Junior Kimber songs. And, yeah. uh, and, you know, we knew they were rolling tape on them, but we we didn't have any idea of what was going to be done with it. Yeah. And then at, at the end of that day, Dan was like, uh, y'all were still, you know, hired for another day. He said, y'all want to come back tomorrow and we can play some Mario Burnside songs? <laughs> we said, sure. So he said, sure. So we came back the next day and played some Mario Burnside songs and, and like one Fred McDowell tune. At the end of that day, all of a sudden, like the engineer and Dan are walking around going, well, looks like the record's done. And me and Kenny are sort of like, oh, oh, the record? What what record is this going to be? And they and they said they said the next Black Keys record. Oh, and we're like, shit. oh, oh, okay. <laughs> so that wouldn't have been so would that like, would that have been uh, Chulahoma? That, that's one. this one. That's okay. this one. Wow. Um, okay. uh, Delta Cream. Okay. So that's okay. how that's how Delta Cream happened. Okay. Because um, I was confused now, a little actually, bit because back being back then because they did a whole junior thing with Chulahoma, right? Yes, they did. Yeah. And the interesting thing, Dan actually called me a few times. And was talking about getting me to play bass on that record way back then. Yeah. But uh, I don't know why he, you know, yeah. they changed their mind at some point, decided just to cut it as the two of them, you know, since they were the, the Black Keys. And at that point, they weren't even, like, touring with other musicians, playing with them or anything. They, yeah. they were strictly just doing the duo thing. You know? so, yeah. uh, so I ended up not being on the Chula Homo record. But uh, but that no, that's how Delta Cream came back. Okay, which was uh, was was them? Yeah, we didn't know we were. We had no idea we were going <laughs> to be playing on the Black Keys awesome. record at all. And and like I said, even when we were recording it, nobody had said, "Hey, this might be the next Black Keys record." They were just like, "Let's just do this because y'all are here." Yeah, and you know you can get paid for the time, and we'll roll tape, and you know. So we knew it was being recorded, but uh, but we really didn't know. Until it was done, and then they're like, "Okay, looks like the record's finished." <laughs> We're like, "Which it record?" It kind of reminds me a little yeah. bit of uh, the way the story I heard with uh, I think Bobby Whitlock told me about like how fucking the Derek and the Dominoes sessions came out with uh, Dwayne. They didn't even know like when they brought Dwayne in on those sessions. They didn't even know that they were because if you ever heard those outtakes where it's like got six, five or six jams where it's just no words. It's uh, Dwayne. I, no, I don't. I, I don't think I have heard that. Uh, yeah, it's no. pretty fucking amazing, dude. It's all the outtakes wow, in the later sessions, but it just kind of reminds me of that same uh, thing because they were warming up for the Layla sessions, and I hear that the, the story of that. It's almost like the the, the, the engineer came in and hit fucking. They were like, "God damn, dude!" And they hit play and record, dude, while those guys were just warming up, and it became that became that side session. So tell me, so Delta Cream. You did Delta Cream, you and Kenny did, and then it got nominated for a Grammy. So you and Kenny got flown to the Grammys. Give me a give me a good yeah. story from that now. <laughs> Man, uh, that was uh well, you know, I'll tell you, even once I knew and me and Kenny knew that we were gonna be on the next Black Keys record, I, I can't speak for Kenny, but for, for myself, uh I just assumed the only way anybody would know we were on the record was if they read the fine print on the liner notes of the album. You know? <laughs> and and um, but Dan and Pat went out of their way. They made me and Kenny featured musicians on the record, nice. and uh, which was such a cool yeah. thing for them to do. You know, I mean, they didn't have to do that. No, and, they didn't. Um, but it shows and, how and it, it shows how, know, they, how much they respect y'all's work too. It 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 does, man. It's it's really a, a great feeling, and and. Um, and, and an honor, you know. I mean, so so yeah. So we got to share in the Grammy nomination, which if we were not, if we had not been featured, if we had just been sidemen but not featured artists, that wouldn't have happened. So yeah. So that was really awesome that they did that. And uh, and yeah. And then on top of that, they decided, hey, uh, we're gonna let you to represent the record at the Grammys. <laughs> oh, they didn't even go. No, they didn't even go. Dan and Pat didn't go. So they they flew me and Kenny out to the Grammys to represent the record, nice. and um, so yeah, I mean that was that was amazing, man. Sarah got, got, got to, to go. do the Grammy ceremony, and, and of course the record didn't win, but yeah, um, yeah. but you know being nominated is an honor in in, in itself. Oh, yeah, so no doubt, it, it's pretty pretty awesome experience. No doubt. All right, what you got? What y'all? What you got coming up next? What's on the horizon? Last question. 
Okay, well, uh, very next thing, uh, I'm playing this Saturday with my trio at the 25th anniversary of Ajax. And I oh, that's wow. Gonna be fun. You going to go over there and party with Randy? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. That's going to be fun. Uh, Annual Beer's playing, too. Nice. Uh, Rocket 88's playing, too. Laurie Sterrett's going to be playing. It's going to be fun. You keep that Jamie Posey boy in line now when Rocket 88 shows up. And chow. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> Things can get out of hand in a hurry. Exactly. <laughs> well, Eric, I really appreciate you doing this, brother, and it's really good to catch up with you, and I'll let you go, but we got some really good stuff, and I can't wait for people to hear it. Kill it. Thank you for listening to the Killing Floor Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Smith. Thank you to our guest today, Mr. Eric Deaton. Thanks to Fat Possum Records. If you want to find some Junior and some RL, go on over to Fat Possum Records and order you up some goodness. Junior's two songs you heard today were You Better Run and Meet Me in the City. Thank you to Larry Brown and his people for the use of of the liner notes for Sad Days, Lonely Nights. Thanks to Adam Zapardo for editing and mixing this episode. I'm Adam Smith. We were glad you were here, and we're out of here. <laughs>